we can count. Okay, welcome. Episode three of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm here today. Oh my goodness. With Zach. Well, we call him Shoddy, but uh, Shodstein is your last name, right? Given. Yeah. Given. That's your given name. Okay. Um, so the way we start out these these podcasts, and I think you've listened to at least one of them, you have some idea of kind of what we do is we want to get a little bit of backstory on you, a little bit of I call it the bozo story, but whatever you want to call it. And the, the bozo story means right that how we became connected and realized that we were just like everyone else, that we weren't necessarily entitled as our special people, but that we're just like we're just like everyone else and. So tell us a little bit about that and how you came, if you have, which I'm assuming you have, to that realization. That we're the same as everyone, I guess, was through many nights at IOP and I, <laughs> and just talking with everyone and kind of putting myself out there and listening, really, is when I made the biggest connection. Um, just hearing other people's stories and being able to relate to them and seeing that we had a lot more in common. I wasn't just alone, I guess you would say, so. So were you feeling alone, do you think, before this? I think so. Since I was, you know, I had a good upbringing. I guess since I was a kid, though, I felt kind of not ostracized, just... Just on my own, yeah, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> um, Tell us what brought you here to Utah. What brought me How here to Utah? How did you get here? How did I get here well, to Utah? Most people have an interesting story, what brings them to the great Zion Curtain. <laughs> um, <laughs> or th- I should say, through the Zion Curtain. Because you, you do need to go through it to get here, of course. <laughs> well, my brother Jake was out here with my parents. They, This is their second home. And I had been coming to visit, and I had been looking for a change because I didn't care to stay in Florida, where I'm from, South Florida. And um, I'd been wanting to move out west for a few years, but I was in a relationship where I was too... I didn't have the courage to leave it, (laughs) to be uncomfortable, but I've learned that being uncomfortable is all right. So once I made that decision, I found myself out here, but I was still living the same lifestyle I was living in Florida. What's that? What's that mean, lifestyle? Yeah. Uh, what was your lifestyle? I would. Uh, I drank a lot, and I took took <laughs> pills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I self medicated and spent a lot of time by myself. I isolated, and I was comfortable being alone. I pushed my family out, my brother out, and um, I just spent spent my afternoons by myself and my nights by myself. Like, except for work and and relationships. Right? Yeah, I had a I got into another unhealthy relationship. So when you look at this, when you think of addictions, and you just and we talked about. And, and this term, analogy, I'm, I'm not committed to wholeheartedly when we talk about addictions, just because, um, even though I just wrote a whole book pr- primarily that everyone has addictions, but you brought talked about alcohol and pills, 
Um, but what would you think, and what would you say some of your other addictions have been along the way? Where it all started, I would say, and I haven't really ever even shared this with you, was <laughs> when I was growing up, it was I had an extreme body image issue because I was heavier, and it all started with eating disorders, I would say, anorexia and then bulimia. And I really? I could never, I always had a body image. And that led to me seeking acceptance and other means. So, I did as well. I, I, I've known, you kind of talked a little bit about body images, but I didn't know you dealt with eating disorders. Yeah, when I was, um, the most like, the thing that stands out the most was I went to summer camp one summer and I came back like, I look like an internment camp victim. Like I was very thin. You could see my ribs. And my mom was very alarmed by this. And I don't know what it... I've never really looked into it or understood where it came from because I was able to abruptly... Well, I guess not abruptly because then I became bulimic where I would binge and purge and whatever I wanted. So what you were saying before, you were... You were withholding food. So yeah. More on the anorexia side. But it was okay. an addiction nonetheless, just like I've sure. dealt with alcoholism and drug addiction. Mm -hmm. It was very, <laughs> it was scary too, yeah. man. So how old were you when you, what, so you went to camp, you, this is the, this is the first time you remember actually regulating food, regulating your food intake? I'd say it started around when I was like 13 or 14. Okay. Okay. And, um. I don't know, I just had a bunch of like fit kids around me in in middle school and I wondered why I wasn't like that. And that's what really started my um me seeking like I guess me taking I guess it's not self medicating, but I was I was taking um charge of what was put in my, into my body and when it came out, so to say. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? To have awareness and consciousness of what we're putting in our body. I guess it's how we do it is yeah. where maybe the... I've always the, struggled with the self-control, though. It's extremes. So, when you say self-control, you were highly regulating what you were intaking mm -hmm. to the point that it was causing malnourishment. Yes. So when your mom saw you get off the bus or whatever that day from yeah. camp or came to pick you up, she was like... Yep. Okay. There's my child, and there, look, you know, uh, a skeleton of a my skeleton, child. A skeleton of self. And but you had been heavier up to this point, or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I guess I was not heavier. I was just a normal. <laughs> oh, you were a normal kid, so but not in my so eyes. You had, what we, you had body dysmorphia, yeah. where you thought you were much heavier than everyone else. Yeah. Okay. No, I haven't heard this whole story. So this is great. This is great. Thank you for sharing this. So, and you can re relate to this. Did you know anyone else at the? And then you went from when you came home, you went from the withholding, the anorexic side to the bulimic. That was side. to get the attention off of me. Oh, so you would eat normally, but then you would go, yeah, you know, excuse yourself, and because everyone was. Worried, they wisened concerned. up to it, okay. and they were, yeah. 
Making sure you were eating. Yep. I see. But then you would go off to the bathroom and and take care of that. How long did this go on for? I remember doing this for... The bulimia was really a troubling time because it was years. It was probably four or five years. Hmm. And I noticed it was taking a toll on my body. And it was just very stressful. (laughs) And I was able to like... I don't know how I've been able to stop things so abruptly, Mm. but one day I was just able to stop doing that. Mm. I don't know if it has to do with where I was because I started, you know, participating in extracurriculars like swimming and water polo and I guess I just, it changed. So you were were becoming a lot more active. Mm -hmm. That, That sometimes can be a precursor to some of those changes just because you have to maintain a certain cap, you know, calorie intake, um, nutritional uh, uh, levels of, of food consumption, especially healthy food, to maintain the, sort of the athleticism associated with active sports like that. Did you say water polo? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But once I start, I stopped doing that, the bulimia thing, I started... Using drugs and alcohol. Uh-huh. So I just changed, I just substituted. <laughs> just one to the other. And and we know, and uh, I say we, I mean the, the people in the, in the industry that, that you know, work with different types of addictions, that eating disorders and addictions and those body image issues often all get wrapped in together. Mm-hmm. And they have to, in some ways, be treated at the same time, at least the underlying issues associated with them. Again, the the eating disorder and the drugs and the alcohol, albeit a symptom of something underlying. Yeah. So we make that little bridge right to here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so wow. First of all, um, thank you for sh- for sharing this and 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 being so open about this today. Did did your mom ever know or dad ever know about the the bulimia or did they just know about the anorexia? Um. Like most parents, I'm sure they do. I've never spoken to them about it, but they're pretty sharp, as I've learned over the years. <laughs> yeah, your mom is definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so uh, well, if they choose to listen to this uh, podcast, they may find out some interesting things about yeah. their, their son. Did Zach know? Did I mean, Jake? did uh, Jake know? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, of course, Zach I don't. Knew. I don't think Jake knew hmm. or knows. I don't think many people do. Okay. Okay. So now kind of looking back, sort of, if you can take that, pull the lens back a little bit and, and kind of see where, you, where you've been. What, what do you see were really sort of un, some of the underlying issues, how this, this came about? I mean, I heard some of the, the, those little um, connections um, of feeling different than everyone else, seeing yourself different. Um, and and so I, I kind of wondered if if you kind of attached or had some what your awareness has been about what what it was about the eating disorders just the, the, all of it sort of you uh, know this is the eating disorders and the the drugs and the alcohol mm. uh, that's a difficult one okay or it takes more thinking. Well, I can, I, we can make a bridge here. So when you, when you think about that, because the question earlier was about what other kinds of addictions have you had? And then, and then you shared the ones with the body image issues. Um, and you shared with the relational dynamics, you know, of 
wanting to be in relationships or needing to have somebody there, right? So um, when, when you kind of look about, look back and you kind of unpack this now, what do you think ultimately that you felt disconnected from that you were, were so um, obsessively, you know? I think I was seeking approval okay. the most okay. um, to be like a strong individual, the image perceived by others, like my peers, my parents as physically strong. And, uh-huh. um, I guess with the drugs and alcohol, I numb, so I wouldn't react to certain emotions. So I'd be viewed as, you know, strong or hardened in that mm-hmm. regard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> as we know, yeah, as, as we know. So do you want to explain that? Um, I guess I just, I guess I've been like very sensitive emotionally my whole life, and mm-hmm. I've always tried to bury that because I thought it was associated with weakness. Whereas I've learned in the past year or so that it's a strength in my eyes now. Um, but I never wanted to be viewed as sensitive or understanding because I thought it was counter. It went against what I was raised mm-hmm. as strengths, which sure. is kind of fucked up. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. It, it true, no, it is. It, it's really messed up. And this whole idea. I mean, what I heard, what I heard you were talking about was vulnerability. And I don't know if yeah. that's what you're meaning. That's but yes. what I mean. Okay, about it's okay to be vulnerable around people. I mean, you got, you know, I, I'm not telling you anything I don't think you don't know, but I mean, you got kind of the physical physique thing worked out, you know. I still, but the fucked up thing is, now, Paul, I still, like, if I look in the mirror, I have to tell myself, you look all right. You look good. Mm-hmm. But I still see the same, but I've had to learn. It's still there, but I've just learned how to deal with it. So a little bit of that dysmorphia. You, it's you, still you, there, it's yeah. It's still there, Okay. So getting to the place of having sort of a distorted view of yourself and having one that's somewhat more, that's somewhat more realistic, which is I hear what you are doing now, um, some of that still is there, but you are seeing yourself somewhat differently. You know, you can kind of begin to get a glimpse of actual reality. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad to hear that. Um, as, you know. And the, the idea that, you know, that especially being someone sort of that seems as fit as you are, you know, that takes care of themselves and looks good, and people don't always get that. They go, they look at someone like, like, like you, Zach, and they go, oh, he's, he's got it all together on that level. That's kind of why I wanted to just, like, level and let everyone who listens to this know that I've thought, like, that's what people see, but I want them to know, like, everyone's got their own issues. Like, <laughs> totally. It totally. might not be this, but it's that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, that's why, I don't know, I listen in, you know, our groups and stuff, and I hear people dealing with stuff that I've dealt with, but I haven't shared necessarily because I'm embarrassed of it, but I guess I'm finally, like, <laughs> maybe this will help someone, so... The cat out of the bag, so to yeah. speak, is that you're saying? Yeah. You've shared a lot along the way, but you, you're right. I would maybe not always as deep as you could, could, but I, I've seen you, you know, become very active. And 
you use humor too as as a way to deflect because you are one of the funniest people I know. Thank um, you. Actually, you and your brother are both huge humor in incredible ways. Our dad says we're sick, so sick, sick. <laughs> well, the, the humor can get dark, but yes. so can mine. So yeah. I, I, I I understand that as well. Um, so looking looking back now and and seeing kind of where you are today and being able to to talk about this and share this more openly um do you think a lot of it has to do with embracing uh, you know what i call a sober lifestyle meaning meaning that you know i'm I, i'm not using or abusing or obsessively um living my life in such a way that that um i have to consume constantly things around me um, you, how you how you kind of be, were able to walk through this? Do you, do you see that this community being part of the, uh, this community over the past couple of years has really been the you know the the piece that that allowed you to kind of show up and and continue to participate in life in a healthier way? Well, definitely the community at the beginning kept me accountable for uh-huh. everything I said. I had I wasn't used to that, um, so that was very important. And I've definitely forged some serious relationships with people that not necessarily are still in the community, but they've helped me a lot. Uh And uh, that's a very important aspect of it. But I have noticed myself as of late, you know, I do my, I come to aftercare once a week Mm -hmm. or sometimes I miss it. So like I'm averaging like twice a month, Mm -hmm. but it works for me. And, you know... I don't necessarily talk to many people during the week, but when I come to aftercare, that's all I really need. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if sometimes I feel like I'm lacking in it, and that's when I'll pick up the phone and call someone, Mm -hmm. but I really feel like the spectrum's so large on that. Take what you need. You take what you need. Yeah. And yeah, once once you feel sort of integrated into the community... Um, some of the focus doesn't have to be intense, I don't think. And I, I get that feedback from a number of people. And I also see it in people, you know. Um, so it's not, about, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. This all comes down to the quality of the relationship. But at the beginning, it, it's quantity. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you got <laughs> to show that up. That was really the up. three nights a week, three hours. And sometimes, you know, that extra night for family night. That was extremely necessary and very important. There was some good work. <laughs> yeah, there was. There was. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Um, there's a term that uh, I, I kind of, I've looked at for a long time and, and one of the things that has interested me. And, um, and I think you've had, you and I have talked, had some philosophical talks before. But I kind of wonder if you have, um, not to get too Karl Marx in the conversation, but when you look at sort of what do you think the primary addiction is within our society, like let's say the opiate of the masses, you know, and Karl Marx, you know, sort of projected that onto religion for quite a long time. Do you have any thoughts about that? But what it is to you, for you, when you, or what you see is maybe a primary problem when it comes to our, our society, our culture? It's for sure, um, the technology. Technology, yeah. That... Even with you, you're always on your phone. I catch myself always on my phone. My dad is the worst. I'm never on my phone. Yeah. What are you talking yeah. about? Well, I know you got a lot of people. <laughs> no, but... no, I'm 
<laughs> You're right. But it's know. absurd. I catch my brother, like, in his bed all weekend. I'm going to throw him under the bus. <laughs> He's in his bed all weekend on his tablet. And he broke his phone, and it seemed like it was going to be the end of the world. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's a really big problem. And there's, you know, I don't know if... Some people read on their phones and stuff, but I feel like books are being neglected. Mm -hmm. I have a stack of books that I've been needing to read this past year, but I never... I get through a couple pages and then I find myself back... Back on the device? On my phone looking at stupid, stupid shit to buy. Cat pictures shit? (laughs) Yeah. Dogs, cats, boats, trucks. Speaking of dogs, let's jump right for it. Yeah. So... You've decided. I mean, this this I, this makes perfect oh. sense to me. But Great <laughs> those of you I know, those of you, <laughs> you you went from being you know the HVAC guy, you know, yeah. was going to be you know kind of take over one of Dad's businesses, and and uh, who knows what that'll look like someday. But it wasn't it wasn't your passion. I mean, you weren't you weren't happy there. And I, I remember you didn't know exactly what you were going to do, and so um, you all of a sudden now find yourself. Working with animals, I feel like, and you, the way you smile about it, by the way, says yeah, so much. Because it's great. But you always talked about, by the way, you always talked about animals this way. It, I mean, for the most part, especially dogs. I mean, cats. You know, maybe not I'm cool quite with the same cats way. too. Yeah, cool with cats. Yeah. But you always talked about dogs and caring for animals in a way. Because I remember some of the things you used to say about your brother. Oh, when he shaved the dog. When he sh- yeah. When he sh- shaved the star of David yeah. or something. Very interesting fellow, my brother. <laughs> but also a great inspiration for me to change my life also. Yeah. I feel like my biggest advocate and, you know, cheerleader would be Jake. And a uh, very important part of my life. And I never would have seen it that way in the past because we've always been kind of distant. But it's been really really nice um yeah I guess my whole life my working life it's been construction and building and I feel like that was a big source of disappointment for me which wasn't solely responsible for me self-medicating and using but yeah it was (laughs) but it's something maybe correlated to that image right I mean besides just being body image but sort of the guy image, or maybe some of those things yeah, associated with it. I've never thought of it that yeah. way, but yes, the builder, I can fix problems and stuff, which I can, but I was miserable doing that stuff. And I felt maybe I was just holding on to make other people happy and not disappoint, but the big... Um, shit, this was a big fucking time was when I asked my parents... Like, would they be dis- what their expectations of me were? Right, right. And they, they blew my mind by saying, We just want you to do something that you're happy. Mm-hmm. And I would have, I was so taken aback by that from especially my, my stepdad, who I didn't want to let down, but he told me he just wanted me to be happy. That was a game changer for me. So that's when I really started thinking, What, what would make me happy? Mm-hmm. And it was the working with animals. So, you know, I pursued that and now I'm grooming, you know, at a great outfit in Park City. And mm-hmm. I, tomorrow I go into work 
I'm excited to go to work, and that's new to me. And, you know, I'm fortunate. I have a really nice lady that's teaching me, and um, it's nice to have a lady boss because I haven't gotten along with <laughs> male figures, really, for the most part. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited to, like, pursue this and see what happens with it. And my relationship with my parents has never been better. Mm. Go figure. Yeah, go figure. Go figure, yeah. How relationships change, right? Yeah. And, like, my dad asked me every day, how many dogs did you do? How was it? He's mm -hmm. actually, he's genuinely interested, which he always has been, but I... The sincerity in it, and, like, I can tell that he's happy that I'm doing something that, you that makes me doing. happy. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really nice because I dropped him off. I got off early on Thursday and took him to the airport. And, you know, he's never been a very emotional person, but he told me, you know, when he got out, he's like, I love you. You know, if you ever need anything, you can just call me. And that was big for me and him. And that was a really nice, nice thing that, you know, a year ago I couldn't see happening, but it's just little shit like that, man. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. So vulnerability at home too. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah, I think he's done great work too, and my mother as well. Well, through you guys, I mean, through through you and Jake, changing the family dynamic. Yeah. it's really so that really works. So all that, all that, all that shit, all that I used bullshit, to say, right? Yeah. yeah, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, when you change, you will change your family dynamics. <laughs> it it's been most great. of the time. Most it's of been the great. Time. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. Um, Let's jump. Let's jump a little bit. So jump around a little bit. A couple of things I want to touch base on today. Um, uh, let's let's talk about what your experience of is of the victim. I'm, I'm doing air quotes by the uh, way. Just the victim narrative, you know, because that's one of the big things that we obviously talk about, yeah. and not just from the sense of sobriety or anything. But and and I, and for our listeners, I should always say when I talk about sobriety, I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm just about having a sober, clear thinking mind. One that's rational, and um, it doesn't project our problems onto others. And and what I think one of the most important aspects of having a sober mind is is understanding our victim voice or victim narrative. So, what has been your experience of discovering that that part, that dynamic about being the victim? I was always the victim. <laughs> In any situation, I could spin it to where I was the poor little boy that was, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it was absurd. And I, it was just, it boiled down to me not taking accountability and wanting to push it onto someone else because I couldn't handle emotionally <laughs> or financially, like, that, that burden, really. Um, if I did anything wrong, like if I got a, D, I got a DUI in college, mm -hmm. I was the victim. Poor me, I can't. It's going to be harder Whereas, a matter of fact, I was a dumb, dumbass for doing that, and I should have just taken the responsibility. Sure. But I didn't. I tried to make it like, oh, I'm not in, I'm emotional. I remember just talking to my mom and just like, just trying to get her sympathy, which I did. And it, well, it was complete Mom's bullshit. Mom's the best yeah. for that. Yeah, it was yeah. bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's like... I never really think about that, but I was always the victim. And, um, well, it's that piece of wanting to, 
not take accountability for things, especially our feelings. And so if we can project that onto some other person, place, or thing, then, you know, this is just the way I am. It's these outside forces, mysteriously, that are controlling my life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I've heard it so many times, but the DUI one's a great one. It's just for the reason of, um, and, uh, and we know a lot of people who have a lot of DUIs, you know, I mean, the, the, the third one, the felony one is, is, uh, not uncommon, you know, in, in some of the groups that, uh, you know, we're involved in, but that idea of, you know, I mean, how many times I heard, I wish the cops would do their, you know, catch the real criminals, you know, yeah. and then, you know, not mess around with me, you know, I, yeah, I have a problem, but, you know, I'm not hurting anyone until, of course, then something you does happen. You kill someone. Or, yeah, until yeah. someone gets killed. Or, and I was in that mindset where I was like, why are they picking on me? Yeah. <laughs> why are why these me? guys picking on me? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just absurd. Like, I honestly... I remember my dad telling me, you know, you should write a letter to the cop that arrested you for changing your life. And I was like, Dad, are you fucking nuts? Like, what are you talking about? But now I think about it, I go, that guy, at the time, was such a, you know, he was just doing his job. Yeah, yeah. For him to show up at court and actually care about it, he really did, you know, change the flow of my, you know, of those years Uh and make me have to be accountable and I still didn't write him a letter but <laughs> I could see what my dad was talking about yeah. and um, I, sp- I suppose it resonates more today yeah today now you can see it a little bit differently yeah yeah. I see a lot of things differently yeah. that's a good example though yeah why don't you know the, the grateful things so um, and, and part of my story and I know you know part of this too is that one of the best things that ever happened to me even though at the moment, you know, it wasn't so easy was, you know, someone changing the locks on the doors and saying, you know, until you do X, Y, Z, you know, you're you're not welcome here. And even though in the moment that's hard to take, I knew that, you know, I created it and and that it was, I was responsible for it, even though it didn't feel good. And I didn't like the, you know, what I, what I experienced from it because it feels like disconnection at that point. But the old, but if I look back and say, no, I'm the one that created that dynamic. I'm the one that did those things and made those choices. And now these are the consequences that I'm experiencing for them. But guess what? Someone telling me you you know to get a new key to the house, you need to do X Y Z. You know, then I have the choice. What do I do with this? So yeah. again, the same kind of thing. So I like the idea of that. You know, what it means to. Um, actually acknowledge those people in our life that may have had something to do with our, our some course changes, you know. And sometimes we don't realize it till years later. So great, great story about, you know, that, that cop, right? Or the, the, There's many the people police like officer. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's many people like that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, you had this experience at work recently, and um, I kind of wonder how you're... <laughs> How you're sort of sitting with that when you had uh, a bit of a, uh, I guess, an employer who oh. um, was uh, unwilling to um, deal with some discrimination or bigotry that had gone on at work, and and um, I know you, you've talked about this. And we we don't have to talk about this. I just I'll be really cool. honest. Uh, we, we don't have to talk about anything. And um, and the great thing about technology, even though we spend too much time on it when it comes to media and phones and things. I can edit anything out too. So, <laughs> but I'm saying that because 
um, this seemed to be, you know, as 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 um, you know, someone who 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 cares about you and has watched you this past you know year or so. That this was kind of a shift, something really where you stepped into a different part of being responsible in your life, and instead of. Yeah, the, it was the double finger yeah, salute. Is what yeah. I guess what it I was difficult to do, but it was definitely one of those. You know, you could really identify that's a. I could have gone one way, but I chose the high road, so mm-hmm. to speak, with the help of my peers. To You're be honest, yeah. Um. Yeah, I just this guy I worked for, and I guess I had some sort of respect for him, and. It kind of hurt me when he didn't uh, do what was right mm-hmm. about the anti-Semitic uh, remarks and yeah. stuff um, in the workplace. But um, I really wanted to just tell him to go fuck himself, <laughs> as you know. But it felt and better. He probably deserved it on some level. He did. Too, I'm saying, but it doesn't. That doesn't really teach him anything either. No, no. Right. and um, I think he learned more. From me handling it the way I did, because he, interestingly enough, he texted me yesterday. Like everything was cool. Like interesting. Yeah. So just just to, to for the listeners, you know, you originally you were going to go in, you were going to quit work and not show up, and just tell him to go was, fuck himself. Yeah, I was going to no call, no show. Yeah, right. Because uh, when I told him that I was going to put my two weeks notice in, he told me to have a nice day, and I was going to wait for him to text me. Where are you? And say, have a nice day, which is pretty much the <laughs> double fuck you. But um, I did in. I went in, told him how I felt, told him today would be my last day. Mm-hmm. And when he reacted how I anticipated, I didn't walk out. I stayed the whole day, finished my shift. And at the end, I thanked him for the opportunity. And he said something, an off-color <laughs> remark. And I was like, all right, man. Did everything I could. And that was really... Uh, that was big for me because I have somewhat of a temper. I have a big temper that has gotten me in bad situations <laughs> and in a lot of trouble. And, temper uh, usually does that eventually. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah it does. Yeah. So he texted you? Yeah, he texted me. <laughs> Yesterday? Yeah. What, what, did he, what did he say? Or? It was a... <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell everyone. It was um, this girl we work with, I guess, is trying to like give massages on the side and it said massage the full experience on a post-it contact so and so and and it it killed me because like I don't know if that what that means like it's <coughs> but uh yeah it's just just you got all kinds of stories wrapping around in that head right now yeah I don't know so if she's giving rub and tugs or like <laughs> I don't know but um She's not easy on the eyes. Okay. Okay, you can edit that out, right? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, so, I don't know. I didn't... I just carried on. Like, it was... Nothing happened, and it's cool. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah. What a different way to do it. And you were you shared that. This felt really different to do this differently. It was... You know? It was way better, and I felt... I knew... I wasn't going to share that night, but, you know, my buddy called me out on yeah, it because yeah. he could tell. And I didn't want to take the high road. I wanted to go back and digress to how I used to be. <laughs> so I had to, it's, a, it's always an uphill battle.
battle. Okay, so um, next area we're going to go into. Um, and I, I don't know if you if you read the book or not. It doesn't matter, but because the, this area I've, I've talked about um, uh, over the years, the idea of these these different roles, and in traditionally in the area of um, uh, you know mental health or addiction uh, treatment, a lot of times it's talked about the uh, addict and the codependent. But because I don't see those those roles as being fixed in any way. Um, and the, and the roles themselves having much more dynamic to it than just um, obsessive compulsiveness on one part. Uh, I changed the, the the titles to the fixer, sort of being the one that wants to take care of everything. Um, also, they become the enabler, and they're okay when the other person's okay when they're making everything better when they're focusing on you know fixing problems all the time, right? Focusing on constantly taking care of the other person. Whereas the saboteur is the other side, so the fixer and the saboteur. The saboteur is the one that's going around kind of sabotaging everything, you know, making, creating problems somewhat unconsciously. Doesn't really think they are. In fact, they think the problems are being created by someone else, so they get to play that victim role yeah. all the time. So, and I know this is not absolute. So when I ask this question of, of, of the people in the podcast, it's that, do you, do you kind of feel like you lean one way or the other? I don't, if, I don't know if you've heard Brady talk about this on his. I feel like I definitely lean towards being the fixer. Oh, okay. Like very strongly towards that. Because uh-huh. I always want to rescue and save people from themselves. Uh-huh. And... Um, Usually that happens in relationships. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, I do. I see that too. Yeah. I, I, do, I do agree with that. Um, and I think Brady said something like that too. Like uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fixer. Um, you know, I can't, you know, camouflaged or dressed up as a saboteur or something like that. I can't remember his exact words, but the idea of of you know presenting sort of you know. Showing they're showing up in a certain way, but actually the intention is is somewhat different, and I think that that's why these roles sometimes get changed. And I can see that that makes complete. I identify with the fixer. Yeah, wanting everyone to be okay. Yeah, yeah. The people pleaser, keeping the peace. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so, what is what would you say is one of the most important lessons you've learned in your life? It doesn't have to have anything to do with. This, I mean, the good, the, the, the cop story was great, but do you, anything it's, stand um, out? You can't save anyone. <laughs> what do you mean, you can't save anyone? Like, I know what you mean. Because um, there are people listening right now that when they hear you can't save anyone, they, they kind of, they cringe because they believe that that's kind of their life's purpose in some yeah, ways, right? and that's how I felt. I just, I don't have any say in anyone's decisions or actions besides mine. And as much influence as I can try to put towards someone, it's up to them ultimately. And again, with relationships, I've put way too much stock in trying to, you know, not guide, maybe guide, fix, or just put my own input onto someone. Um, But it's up to them to, in the end, like, (laughs) and it's really hard when they do the thing like the saboteur they sabotage it's really hard on you when you put all that energy into it and it yeah I guess 
Well, don't don't you think that's interesting though? The other part of that, I mean, this that that's kind of what feels comfortable, right? But somehow we kind of like look for people to do that with. If that's sort of the role we like, yeah, you know, like I, I like to fix people, or you know, but I know now I can't. But I was attracted to people. I looked for people that I thought were kind of broken or kind of messed up, and then I thought I was going to be, yeah. The person that helped them. The white knight, right? The white knight, yeah. Up on the horse, you know, riding into town. Uh, yeah. My darling, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. not the case. No. But I did seek that. Hmm. Different today is what you're saying. Yeah, it is. How so? What's um, different now? Um, well, I am in another relationship. <laughs> Okay. But I gave, you know, a, I took the advice of everyone and took some time off. And I guess I, I'm not with someone who, like, relies on me so much. And I really don't feel like there's codependency. Uh-huh. So that's different. Well, here's the big question. Then... Do you feel you need to fix something in them or not? No. Because that's that's how we led it. That's how we got started here. Yeah. Big life lesson, right? Yeah. So then you're you're in a relationship where you don't feel like it's your job to fix them or make yeah. things better or change them. I like them how they are. <laughs> and uh <laughs> if they um if they uh I don't really know, you know, like if they kind of get, if she gets irrational and starts venting about stuff, I just tell her that. I don't try to make her feel better about herself and agree with her. (laughs) (laughs) And um, who knows, it's still early, but I feel like this is a healthier relationship than the past ones where it was clearly codependency. Would you say the saboteur and the... Well, the fixer and the, the saboteur. Fixer. The fixer wants to make everything better. They want to solve all the problems for the person. you know, And they feel better when they're doing that, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. So you're not in a fixer-saboteur relationship. I don't think so. Yes. Okay. I really don't think so. But yeah, well, Time will tell. Time but will tell. But you don't feel like you have to fix anything with this person. No. Or, or you know... Or take responsibility for them, which yeah. is which is really important, and that's hard in life. I mean, I, what you know, one of the th- things that you know we talk about a lot in um, in groups and in workshops and things is the idea of um, the power of romantic love, and and I know you understand this too that you you you've walked in those those shoes too where that romance and, and chasing that feeling all the time and 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 knowing and, and, and believing that this is you know this is what relationships are about when it's only such a small part of them because we can't rely on someone outside of ourselves to make us okay and the romantic part of that is is according well Helen Fisher said this and I, I quoted that in the book was you know that um, romantic love is is the most addictive substance on the planet. And and I believe that, at least in our, our minds it is, because it's short, it's fleeting, and it's powerful, and the endorphin rush from it is second to none. You know. Being someone who had a romantic relationship with cocaine for a long period of time, I get that feeling, that chasing that feeling. 
Um, and I, I've also seen it in romantic love as well. So, you know, if you go into a relationship and you don't feel like you're constantly chasing that, you know, I love Johan Hari's, um, you know, book, uh, but also that term chasing the scream, you know, it's like kind of going after something that is literally impossible to capture. I mean, that, that's sort of what that, that's, that stands, that stands for me. All right. Um, let's, let's, let's move on to the, the next area. So, what 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 do you think brings you? Where, where do you what brings you joy? What what mm. brings you joy in life? What brings me joy is not fixing people, but I like to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of restoring old boats, which I oh yeah I really enjoy doing that. I'm working on my third one, and uh, that really brings me joy. I like that. I enjoy. Um, is, is this the one? No, don't get me wrong. Because I remember maybe you talked about this. Was this the Boston Whaler? Yeah. Okay. Those are all I really like to do. Yeah. That's that's the boats I grew up around. Yeah. I grew up in Connecticut on Long Island Sound. That 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 was like um, I remember when they first came out and like the imprint it made on boating culture in a way. Like you know there were like two sides of the story. No, no, no. We're not. You know don't. They go beat down. the shit out of you. They're a rough ride, but they, I love them. Yeah. But it's a very unique ride, and for some people, especially if you like to fish, yeah. it can be definitely an enjoyable one. Um, and so you that's primarily what you restore? I didn't know that. I before. only do Boston Whalers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I did one with my dad when I was younger, and I just kept doing it. And um, I enjoy fishing a lot. I enjoy anything outdoors, camping, hiking, mm-hmm. climbing. I've started climbing with my girlfriend now, and it's pretty challenging. <laughs> and I'm not one for heights, so mm-hmm. it's helping me yeah. break through that. Are you? Yeah, I don't like that at all. Um, I enjoy watching well, movies. Well, assuming you're doing inside, a lot. And you're yeah, climbing in in, inside. But we're planning to go to Moab and climb outside next in two months. I'm actually looking at vans to convert so we can camp and do all that so i like doing that kind of stuff oh my gosh yeah i like that congratulations thanks man um what else do i like to do or brings me joy joy? and this will kind of lead into the the next question too i mean these because the things that that bring us joy and, and and i that was i get that i mean you know, you talk about restoring boats, but then that led into this whole idea of connecting to nature and a yeah. way for you to be out. But the idea of this idea of restoring something, yeah, there's there's something in that itself. Yeah, you know? restorative. I did that personality thing, or uh-huh. and it said restorative is like one of my top four traits or something. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that bring like joy to me are like doing stuff. For like my parents who aren't necessarily, you know, my mom's mechanically inclined and can fix stuff, but my dad not really. So I like to help him. Uh-huh. That brings joy. And um, I have two little sisters that whatever I can do for them makes me happy too. I send them money all the time because when you're a kid and you get a letter with money in it, that was like the greatest thing when I was growing up. Actually, the art of writing. So I'm really glad that you said this, Zach. Is this, um, uh, 
you know, and I, I know you're close to your sisters, and, and that's that's always been. A, I, if, if there's one thing I noticed about you from the early first time I met you was that connection you had with yeah. them, about being able to connect with them and how important that was to you. But the art of writing letters, I write them usually a letter every month or something. Okay. Today's Katie's birthday; she's nine, and you know, I send her a letter for her birthday. It's just nice. Because yeah. I remember when I was a kid, my aunt would send me letters. Just to get mail when you're a kid, is it's exhilarating. And then if there's a couple bucks in there, <laughs> it's the best. It's, yeah, I've probably a, given them hundreds of dollars, yeah. but it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> my sister's got like a grand squirreled away, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but. That's awesome. I'm sure she does. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, but I don't know. I like that. And the relationship is great to where they'll call me more so my older the older of the two she'll call me sometimes to the point of I want to block her but she'll she's persistent and it's nice to know that someone loves you like that and looks up to you yeah 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 cool okay um so you may have already answered this but I how do you connect to you I call it your zen spot oh my zen spot would be my Zen spot is definitely whenever I go to the gym. I that's where I can just tune out. Yeah, okay. I put my phone on airplane mode and I listen to music and I just lift and I enjoy that. That's I've been lifting for 15 years now since I was 13 and that's the one consistent thing in my life where I can go and check out and it gives me what I need whether I'm feeling sad, angry, or I'm feeling great. That's the one place I can go and just hmm, I feel at home there. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Airplane mode. Airplane mode. Airplane mode. Yeah. Just, I do it. Well, yeah. You gotta do it. You can't have any interruption. Yeah. Beautiful. Alright. Um, Alright, so this one's always a, a fun one. Um, and, and it, it's one that, you know, everyone kind of connects to or disconnects from in one, one way or another, uh, brings up a lot of feelings. So what is your belief or meaning about faith, God, or the universe? What, what, how do you, how do you hold that whole aspect of the mysteries of the universe? Mm. Does it come through religion? Does it come through nature? How does that. It... It's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, non-orthodox but you know I had my bar mitzvah and everything and I went to Jewish day school and um, although I don't practice Judaism Mm -hmm. I still feel attached to it Mm -hmm. and that's all I really I let it like that I don't there's like a mysticism that really fascinates me and I love to read about it and Mm -hmm. when I go to the holidays at my grandpa's house it's it's nice to be able to connect to him on on that level um I really find my, I guess you would say higher power, mm-hmm. is when I'm outside. I just see all these beautiful things and these, it's so much bigger. Mm-hmm. And I know there's something. I don't know what, yeah. but I leave it at that. Yeah. I don't really, I've never been urged to to ask more than, like, m- many questions. I'm not really curious about that kind of stuff. 
So I hear I, what I'm hearing is you you come from a place of acceptance. Yeah, I just that know it's there's something there's something there. You know it. You've found a couple different ways to relate to it. There's some traditional pieces here mm-hmm. through Judaism in your life because of your connection with family, and but then you've also found that getting out outdoors or into nature is a way you feel like you connect as well. And you don't have to define yeah. what that's supposed to look like in yeah. any way. I just kind of go with it. I don't. I don't know. It's not, it's not something that <laughs> has interested me or driven me to ask uh-huh. more. Yeah. I'm comfortable with just letting it lie. But comfortable. Well, this is this is important about you're comfortable with the mystery as it is. Okay, that's what I'm hearing. I'm comfortable with a lot of things that give a lot of people anxiety. I feel like mm. I feel like I've always been able to remain calm in like really stressful situations. I would say that's true, yeah. Or the opposite, I lose my head. <laughs> it's one or the other. <laughs> Comes spinning off like yeah. a top. Yep. And then rolls... I gotta go get it. Rolls uh, rolls through the room, spinning that okay. All right. Um, do you have a favorite song that you've heard in the past 12 months, the past year? Is there something that kind of stood out to you? A song? Um, that you went, well, that, I get that. That's a... <laughs> That's interesting. Uh-huh. Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Do you have anyone in life? Do you have a song in life that you kind of go, you know, that you've ever kind of thought, you know, when you hear it, that kind of gives you some kind of charge? Uh, I've never been really like, you know, Brady probably has the answer right away because he's very musical and stuff, but. Uh-huh. I didn't ask him this question. Oh, I can, he should have. This would have been a good one. Uh-huh. It would have been like Chance the Rapper or something. You know how he looks at um, Anderson Pack. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I can't really... I couldn't really identify with one song. Okay. Which yeah. makes me kind of... I feel boring, but nothing jumps off at me. No, that's okay. I, I, so, you know, that, this, somebody asked me... Um, this recently as well, and I, and I, I actually it was one of my kids asked me, and well, do you have a favorite song right now? And I go, yeah, I do. And it was kind of like the song of last year, I would say for you, but it didn't come out until the end of the year. It's uh, it's Pain. It's called Pain by um, War on Drugs. I don't know if you know that that band or not, but I, it's kind of. I awesome. probably know it if I hear it. I'm not really. Yeah, they're they're kind of they're interesting. They. Um, uh, trans uh, genre, musical genres. I mean, not transgender, but trans musical <laughs> genres. They kind of bring these different genres together in a fascinating way. Uh, but they're definitely an, alter, you know, an alternative uh, rock uh, and, and slightly eccentric. But this song, Pain, um, just something about it. And the lyrics, partly, but there's something about it about it that kind of hit me in a court level and then but I also understand that you know pain's one of those things that kind of levels the playing fields for humans you know like pain is pain doesn't matter who's feeling it you feel it you feel it and that's kind of what this song did for me when I listened to it It was like this experience kind of feels like it's leveling the playing field for everyone so I'm just like running through my head of all these songs but yeah yeah, I don't have any. Okay, sorry. No, no, no worries, no worries. I'll play a little bit of this song for you so you know what I'm talking about when we're done. 
Um, all right. Anything you want to, any pearls of wisdom you want to leave us with today? That... Um, pearls of wisdom. I guess the biggest thing that I've been trying to adopt is expressing how I feel when I feel. So if you want to tell your mom you love her, do it. Yes. Because she's not always going to be around, or your brother, or your father, do that. Uh-huh. And, um... Let people know how you feel. Yeah, that's the biggest thing I would say. Mm-hmm. If you want to get someone flowers, get them. <laughs> just do that. Do what you're thinking. Don't just leave it as a thought. And be in the moment. Mm-hmm. And be in the moment. Yeah. All right, Zach. Thanks so much. You got I it. I appreciate you spending part of your uh, Sunday morning with me. Um, and so, this will end. Episode 3. Thanks, man. Thanks for your time. Paul's books available on Amazon. What would it look like and would you